Welcome, everyone, to POV Crypto, the only podcast that both Bitcoiners and Ethereans listen to. I'm David Hoffman, here with my buddy Christian. Christian, how you doing? Doing really well, man. Excited to have this conversation, hanging out here with Matthew and Tony from Atomic Finance. Uh, we're going to be talking Bitcoin versus Ethereum. Excited to have these guys on because they're actually experienced in building in both. Uh, and I'm sure they have a lot of educated opinions about all of this good stuff. Uh, so I guess we can just jump right into the conversation. Let's start out with some introductions. Uh, we, let's start with Matt. Why don't you introduce yourself and go to Tony and we can talk about atomic finance. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, thanks. Thanks for having us, guys. Um, so for myself, um, uh, so so I originally, um, so at the moment, we're, we're both of myself and Tony, you know, we're co-founders of, of atomic finance, basically building, uh, currently building financial tools, Bitcoin native financial tools. Um, and, and our goal really is to build uh, tools that retain as many kind of key assurances of, uh, of Bitcoin as, as possible. Um, but uh, a bit of a, a, about my background, um, I got, got, got into Bitcoin back in 2014, actually. It was my, it was my dad that uh, actually introduced me to, uh, to Bitcoin. He's a bit of a gold bug. And, uh, and so uh, I was just, you know, kind of managing his, his portfolio way back in 2013, 2014. Uh, I forgot about it for a few years. And uh, myself and Tony were actually both at the uh, University of Waterloo. And uh, we were, uh, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't shut up to him about, uh, about what was happening in Bitcoin. And, and we actually, you know, got pulled back into the space uh, because of Ethereum. Uh, you know, Waterloo is, uh, you know, uh, Vitalik went to Waterloo and whatnot. And, and uh, I think, you know, Ethereum does a good job of kind of creating a good, uh, I guess, developer environment. And, you know, we were developers at the time. And, uh, and at the time, uh, you know, we, we started af- shortly after that, started, you know, working on kind of uh, atomic swaps. Uh, with liquidity between you know Bitcoin and Ethereum, and it was at that time that we uh, you know got a lot got a lot more um, further into the rabbit hole of you know Bitcoin sound money and um, and and Bitcoin scripting, et cetera, et cetera. Um, anything to add, uh, Tony? No, you you hit on most of it. Uh, you know, kind of got into the rabbit hole um, more on the Bitcoin side, like you know, because I guess at that point. Um, for you know us as mostly coming into the space via Ethereum, uh, you know, we kind of saw. Like most most Ethereum folks out there probably saw Bitcoin as this you know antiquated technology. It's uh, you know it's this thing that allowed Ethereum to then be born, and Ethereum is a better version of Bitcoin that can do a lot more things. And you know um, and you know kind of educated ourselves about the sound money aspects of Bitcoin, saw some of its superior monetary properties as compared to Ethereum, and uh, and kind of got us ourselves pulled back into Bitcoin. Um, and uh, and started doing a lot of Bitcoin development side stuff, um, and uh, then went on to kind of um, launch uh, V1 of Atomic Loans uh, protocol, where uh, you know folks it was a cross chain approach uh, where we where we allowed uh, both something that allowed folks to lock up their Bitcoin um, in a Bitcoin script on the Bitcoin chain and then get access to uh, a stable coin ERC20 stable coin over on the Ethereum side. Um, so it was a cross chain approach. Uh, native Bitcoin as well as Ethereum. I got a lot of exposure developing in, in both both sides of, uh, of, of, of the aisle. And uh, and yeah, and that's how uh, V1 of Atomic uh, Loans came about. Um, yeah. So what was the characteristic either with Bitcoin or with Ethereum or, or general with, in crypto that kind of... Uh made you swing the swing back to the Bitcoin side of things? Like why, why did Bitcoin end up uh, dominating your guys' attention? 
Yeah, I think to be honest, like we were always kind of in the, um, you know, at the end of the day, we were trying to, you know, with V1, we were really trying to build kind of non-custodial financial tools for for Bitcoin. And and I think like more more recently, uh, you know, kind of the longer we were in the Ethereum space, we we noticed that there was a lot of kind of things changing in uh, in Ethereum DeFi that weren't exactly kind of in line with, you know, where we wanted to be headed. Um, you know, some of those things include, uh, you know, kind of the uh, I think the, the you know the craziness of uh, of tokens that have been been launched uh, you know very recently, um, and, and I think also some some concerns around um, around scaling Ethereum as well, kind of the the fees that have you know come to light, um, the uncertainty around ETH 2.0 and the scaling solutions, and I'm sure we'll get into that. And so I think you know the longer we we kind of we kind of stayed in there and and continued building, kind of the more more concerned we we became. So that's kind of why we we ended up. You know, taking another look and just saying, "Hey, you know, here's what's happening in Ethereum. Here's what's happening in Bitcoin. There's some new tools that are coming to light for the Bitcoin side. Uh, this is really interesting. We should, you know, we should start looking at this." So you specifically mentioned that, like the the token, uh, probably I, you didn't use the word mania, but I'm going to go ahead and, and use that. Like the token mania kind of turned you off to off Ethereum. Can go into that. Like, why did it turn you off? Because like tokens kind of generally turn people on to to Ethereum. Uh, rather than turning people off. So why did that turn you guys off? Yeah, I think, well, I think it definitely turns people on in terms of like in, in, in enabling uh, short-term incentives to really get, you know, liquidity onto particular platforms. I think for us, like we are always thinking of, you know, we are ask, always asking ourselves the question of like, where do we want this company to be in 10 years? Um, and, you know, if we're going to go and, and build something, um, it, it really needs to be sustainable. Um, and if we're going to do so, um, I think we had a lot of concerns around, hey, you know, we could we could have gone, you know, with with atomic uh, loans, we could have just gone and, and launched a token with our V1 and put it out there in the wild and allow, you know, people to get access to it and create uh, enable liquidity providers, you know, on the protocol. But for us, you know, we really asked ourselves, uh, if we do that, um, first off, you know, what is that going to look like? you know, two or three years down the line. Um, you know, I, I think we've seen it. It's been interesting with Compound. They've gone and launched the Comp token. And, you know, kind of the, the view now is, you know, we've given it off to the community and they do whatever they want with it. And that's kind of the end of like, you know, continued development. And for us, like we always kind of saw this as, you know, you know, we want to be able to build a, a kind of a sustainable business. Um, and I think the other thing that kind of concerned us as well is that I think a lot of the, you know, governance tokens, they're, you know, they're really supposed to be for, for, I guess, governance um, and like, you know, speculation comes second. And I think oftentimes it happens, you know, it, uh, you know, is oftentimes the opposite. So <laughs> that, that also didn't, you know, necessarily play with uh, well with us. And, and I guess the other thing as well is that, you know, for us, like, you know, why does there need to be another, another coin? Like, why do we need to go print a new coin um, when, either, you know, when when kind of something like you know sound money you know bitcoin exists so that was those was, those were kind of the re, you know some of the reasons for us okay so all right so token mania not not so hot on that you guys are trying to play some long-term games uh and so you go to bitcoin and be like okay well but it sounds like you still see some some power in DeFi, right and so you go and start to leverage uh, technology on the Ethereum side, but using the value inside of Bitcoin. And that's kind of how you guys came to Atomic Finance. Is that all right? Uh, so we, so that was how we came to Atomic Loans was like kind Atomic of leveraging. Loans. So the idea was basically, you know, if you're able to lock Bitcoin on the Bitcoin chain, then you're able to get access to, you know, stable coins on Ethereum. You know, you're essentially able to get, you know, access to the fiat that you would, you know, traditionally using CFI. Um, you know, rather than a bank transfer needing to occur to your bank account, you can simply, um, you know, in a trust minimized manner, get access to, 
you know, whatever stable coin is on Ethereum and then be able to use that for, you know, whatever your liquidity needs for. Uh, more recently, we've been more focused on kind of building uh, some of the primitives for Bitcoin native DeFi that we see. Um, uh, we've been working on kind of a, you know, a betting product that allows for people to bet on the, you know, on the prices of various assets, whether it's, you know, Bitcoin, Ethereum, we even had sushi in there. <laughs> we had some bets on that today. Um, and it's all settled in Bitcoin, essentially. Is it, is it fair to say that it's trying to replicate a lot of similar financial services that you can find on Ethereum, but do, trying to do it Bitcoin natively? Uh, I think I think some of that is is definitely true. Um, I think some aspects. So I, I think I think some of the aspects. So I, I think that's true for um, kind of what existed in Ethereum DeFi maybe you know a year ago <laughs> when you had like right. you know you had um, kind of you know uh, MakerDAO exists. You had Compound. You had you had Uniswap, and you had these various tools that allowed for you know um, things to be created in real world use cases. Whether it's a DEX, whether it's lending, whether it's you know, binary options or standard options. So I, I think I think that is true in in some aspects. Uh, I definitely I, I definitely don't think we're trying to uh, you know recreate yield farming. So <laughs> you're muted, Christian. Yeah. So I want to jump in too and and kind of talk a little bit about um, you know obviously you guys kind of have Bitcoin or tendencies and already had a Bitcoin or mindset going into it, although more open to using Ethereum infrastructure. Um, can you talk about like where Bitcoin infrastructure is right now and, um, you know, where you kind of see that going and maybe even compare the ETH and BTC stack? Yeah, absolutely. I think I think um, from the get go, like, you know, we've gone and we've we've you know developed and, and launched, you know, solidity, solidity contracts and deployed them on mainnet. And I think the reality is that a lot of like Ethereum smart contracts, they're really easy to um really easy to get started with, really easy to build, really easy to like inter- interoperate with a lot of like kind of different, um, you know, protocols that exist out there. And right now the reality is like a lot of things in Bitcoin, I think are a lot, um, uh, you know, kind of in their infancy, um, but uh, they're, they're getting to be mature, I think a lot faster than people realize. And I don't think people are necessarily paying attention to that. So a few examples of that are kind of what we're working on right now is specifically DLCs, which are, you know, Bitcoin Oracle contracts, um, and, and for those that don't know, basically what this means is it allows for, you know, uh, parties to be able to lock their Bitcoin to a Bitcoin contract. And then an Oracle can then come and basically report on the price in order for, you know, a specific event to happen. So, you know, an example of that can be, um, you know, the election. Um, so, you know, it's kind of similar to something you can create things similar to Augur, for example, um, in, in kind of a betting sense. And then the other thing that's coming to light very soon is RGB, which allows for assets to be issued on top of Lightning Network. Um, and, uh, and, and specifically, Tether is going to be launched on RGB by end of year. So um, we're really excited to see kind of what the possibilities can be for like Bitcoin native DeFi once you have Tether and you can allow for... Um, kind of more advanced, you know, financial contracts to be created with that. And oh, not to mention like a DEX between like, say, Bitcoin and Tether, for example. But let's go into that a little bit more. Issuing assets on top of Lightning. Uh, how does that work? Yeah, so so essentially RGB, kind of the, the way that... Um, uh, the way that RGB works basically is it allows for... Um, uh, the way that they issue assets is you have a currently it, you have a central issuer. So you have like one. So say you take like Bifinex or Tether that says, hey, we're going to go and we're going to issue some assets on top of Lightning. 
And the way that it works in the background is you use Bitcoin as proof of ownership, but all the actual transfers that occur are all done um, uh, through client-side validation. So, for example, you know, say if I was to send you some Tether, David, you know, over Lightning, for example, um, you know, there'd be I would have a certain amount of Tether that was basically anchored to my, uh, you know, Bitcoin. Uh, my specific Bitcoin address or uh, Bitcoin UTXO that's in a lightning channel. And then I'd be able to send that to you through that lightning channel. Um, and, uh, and all the validation, you know, would be done in our clients, but we would have proof of ownership on the Bitcoin chain itself. So that's, that's kind of how they're thinking of enabling um, assets on top of lightning. And then I, I would suppose that that just makes uh, any sort of DeFi like implementation on top of Bitcoin, just much more expressive, right? Cause you have much more, options with how you can leverage these things yeah exactly what and they're actually adding another thing as well with rgb which is um specifically enabling uh simplicity which is kind of the um kind of smart contract language that uh, blockstream has been working on that will allow for more advanced um like kind of smart contracts on top of lightning as well so um, i know that uh you know we're gonna have you know usdt that has that capability I know that the team that's working on RGB is also planning to have like RGB BTC, which may have some kind of more advanced, you know, functionality as well. And so it'll be interesting to see kind of what people build with that. So you want to ask RGB BTC is uh, quite the mouthful though. So yeah, like wh- when are we going to disrupt just like adding stuff to, in front <laughs> of the, the ticket for your, whatever your asset is? Um, yeah. What was I going to ask? Uh, so, okay. So in the process of building out some of these things, and maybe maybe you guys aren't uh, directly behind tokenized assets on top of Lightning. Maybe maybe you are. Um, but what is, what's it been like? Because I'm assuming you've also had have some amount of solidity experience and have done similar things on Ethereum. So like kind of compare and contrast doing that, right? Like, so what, what it's been like, what, what has it been like building on Bitcoin? And, and maybe also talk about like, why DeFi innovation and you know experimentation has like gone way faster than anything else, and and way faster than anything on Bitcoin, and and maybe that's false, maybe that's not true. Just talk about that subject. Yeah, I think I think the question is really like why isn't why isn't there more liquidity on Lightning? And I think you know <laughs> I think you know DeFi Pulse tries to you know <laughs> tries to show it in your face of like hey, here's Lightning and here's DeFi. But I think the key thing here that's interesting is that really today Lightning is only useful for two things: it's useful for payments and it's useful for games. And um, you know, and, and in reality, uh, you know, <laughs> most people don't want to pay with their Bitcoin. <laughs> um, and uh, and for you know, for games, you know, obviously you're not going to have that much value transferred. So I think there's, you know, we're really missing a lot of like financial tools specifically for um, for Bitcoin, which is you know, kind of what these you know things are trying to create. Um, the reality is right now, like RGB isn't quite ready for for prime time, so we haven't actually been developing too much with it uh, with it yet because it's still kind of in the you know protocol level infrastructure level stage. There's some wallets that are starting on integration, but you know DeFi, DeFi with RGB is is still kind of a work in progress because Lightning on RGB is still um, or RGB on Lightning is still a work in progress. So we're we're probably going to see more of those things kind of um, end of year and you know early next year. Um, in terms of like the other things we've been working on, um, you know, I think uh, with DLC specifically, so um, I think with Solidity, you can do like a lot of things. You can do things like very expressively. You can build all these interesting smart contracts, but it also means that the surface area for what you're building is very large. Um, you know, I, I remember when we were building our smart contracts for V1, 
um, you know, our Bitcoin contracts, you know, uh, you know, they're, you know, very simple. Um, and, and I knew, I, I knew every line of it and I knew that it was going to work on the Ethereum smart contracts. On the other hand, so I think I had a lot of concerns around, you know, we went and we got audits done, but even, even with those audits, you know, is there going to be a smart contract bug that is found in the solidity code that's going to end up with something bad occurring? And if that does happen, well, you know, when we launch, we need to make the decision between, are we going to have an admin contract or are we going to not have that? And then, you know, potentially have kind of a, a pool of funds that can be exploited. So um, I, I think in general, like Bitcoin is more difficult to work with, mm-hmm. but allows, you know, but, and, and kind of the way that development is done is done a lot, a uh, lot more off chain. Um, yeah. Anything to add? I, I think like uh, the situation is that, uh, you know, on Ethereum, it's, uh, you know, even if for projects that are doing things the right way per se, uh, getting those those audits in and stuff like that, you know, the, the truth of the matter is that it's re- really, really hard to, you know, feel safe that, okay, everything is, there's no, there's no issues here. There's no vulnerabilities. Um, obviously, you know, uh, some people rely on Samsung to kind of like make, <laughs> um, to hopefully catch some of those bugs, but obviously you can't just rely on Samsung. So like basically, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's just, um, you know, the security guarantees and in, in Bitcoin, when you're making, uh, some of these scripts and whatnot, they're just, um, you know, they, they let you sleep a lot easier at night is what I'd say. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I kind of want to jump in here too and uh, talk a little bit about like Ethereum as a sidechain for Bitcoin. Like obviously, like, I mean, part of my thesis is that Bitcoin is the center of, of kind of the cryptoverse and uh, you should be open-minded to what, you know, other shitcoin enabled infrastructure is out there. Um, and not to say that Ethereum is a shitcoin or anything, but like, you know, there's a lot of infrastructure being built right now. Um, and Ethereum, you know, is really the kind of the crown jewel of crypto infrastructure. Like, if you think about it, that's what it is. Um, and so does, does like, is it viable? Is it viable crypto infrastructure for Bitcoin, even in the medium term? Like, it sounds like you guys are long-term, uh, bearish and unsure. Like, what do you think about Ethereum, even in the short to medium term as, crypto infrastructure yeah like for for myself i think matt might have like a slightly different take so he can add on um but then uh for myself i think that um you know it really depends on the risk reward profile of of the of the type of bitcoin holder that we're talking about like for for some folks who are already um ethereans who are already dabbling in the DeFi space heavily involved um and so like that you know it, it i think it's you know, non, it's a fairly sensible move to kind of like bring some of that Bitcoin over to to uh, DeFi and to Ethereum uh, as a side chain to kind of enable uh, greater liquidity for whether, whatever they're trying to do on DeFi. Um, that being said, uh, you know, there are obviously significant uh, trade-offs when it comes to each of the implementations that we currently see uh, in terms of these wrapped Bitcoins. Obviously, with, with things like uh, WBTC, um, it's currently a situation where, you know, it's not really that all that different um, than kind of a Bitcoin IOU that you might have on Bitfinex or on uh, Coinbase, right? It, it's, it's essentially a Bitcoin IOU 
Um, you know, obviously the Bitcoin, we obviously we, uh, Bitcoiners and Ethereans like to go on this debate about if the Bitcoin's actually on Ethereum. Um, we think it's. I've you been know, doing some of that debating that. today. <laughs> um, but uh, I don't even know. know. I don't even know about that debate, but it's definitely an IOU. But that's okay. Mm-hmm. The IOU mm-hmm. is on the Ethereum infrastructure, so it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Like that's the point. Yeah, yeah, and so like if you're okay with with like minting an IOU on, on Ethereum, bringing that into, you know, what is a little bit of a Jenga tower of Ethereum DeFi, bring sound money kind of into more unsound financial infrastructure, then, you know, if you're comfortable with that, you know, it makes sense. Um, obviously with... Uh, I mean, with- other than a multi-sig in cold storage, what is sound financial infrastructure though? Like, let's be real, like mm-hmm. an exchange isn't, like <laughs> an exchange isn't, like what exchange, I think a lot of DeFi, I mean... Uh, some of the the known seven DeFi is probably as secure as a lot of the exchange and bucket shops that people are messing around with. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, in terms, yeah. In terms of like ad, ad, admin keys and whatnot. Well, I think I think that's an interesting one because you know what I, I think that I think you actually touched on a really interesting question. CK was like, what is like sound infrastructure at the mm-hmm. end of the day? And mm-hmm. I think for like for us. Um, Rust sound infrastructure, I guess, is t- tools for um, tools for sound money that retain as uh, as many kind of key assurances for the underlying asset as possible. Mm-hmm. So you, as you, as you possible, to... or all of them. Uh, well, I think I think I think in general, um, s- um, in certain cases, you can't get all of them, and the reason for that specifically is that. Anytime you're trying to do any type of derivative or bet on price or, you know, uh, uh, you know, get ex- exposure to, a, you, know, a specific, you know, even if you're doing like a synthetic asset, for example, you need a price, fee, right? So for a lot of these things, you need a price fee, which means that it's not going to be censorship resistant, but it can still be non-custodial, it can still be auditable, mm-hmm. you can still verify like exactly how it's done, but it simply means you're going to have an oracle that's, that's trusted at the end of the day, that's going to be, you know, reporting on what that price is, um, you know, in reality. Um, so yeah, I, I would say that's, that's kind of the answer. But Link, dude, but Link, huh? <laughs> but Link. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to hear what, what David's thoughts on, on Link are. I'm, uh, I, I, you know, we've, we've gone and we've set up like Chainlink oracles and we've gone through like Black Thursday and, you know, uh, and kind of the shit show that happened there. And, uh, I, 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 I just find it very annoying paying with, paying, uh, paying for Chainlink oracles with Link, but, uh, you know, I understand they. You know, they have a they have a different uh, you know kind of end goal in mind. So, well, so yeah, you, so you guys rattled off a list of like characteristics that you could in in one specific use case of some uh, sort of uh, implementation of of DeFi on Bitcoin is you retain all these other things and then you just end up trusting an oracle and then you have financial activity based on this new implementation that you built and that's like what we're trying to do on ethereum right it's like well we have all these abilities to do things and we run one by one we knock down all the trust vectors and we focus it down to as few things as possible except the only difference is we're doing it on the ethereum chain rather than rather than the bitcoin chain except where ethereum i think will always persistently be able to offer more solutions to bitcoin is that like for example something like Chainlink. Where like you can have you can solve problems that uh, where like on Bitcoin you reduced it down to one oracle. Well, on Ethereum you reduce it down to Chainlink, and then Chainlink takes that one oracle and then again divides it into a thousand different oracles, right? And so that like flexibility. And I'm not saying Chainlink is the solution, 
I'm plenty skeptical on, on Chainlink. Um, but I'm, what I'm not skeptical on is the ability to solve problems, solve, solve problems based on optionality, right? And like that's the main thing that Ethereum offers. Like you go through this list of prerequisites that you need to like check the box in order to have sound finance. And when you check all the boxes, then you have sound finance, right? Well, <laughs> Ethereum offers you like optionality with every single box, right? And and that's kind of why I'm persistently bullish on what we're, I guess we're now calling in this podcast sound finance, right? On, on Ethereum specifically. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. Cause I think, I think Chainlink and kind of the Oracle system that exists around there is, is a, is a really good example and a really good um, kind of, you know, it also shows a bit of a sneak peek in terms of like the optionality that does not exist today in Bitcoin, but that is currently being worked on. So you give the example of, you know, um, if you create a Bitcoin Oracle contract, a DLC, then, you know, you're basically in a situation where you've got one trusted Oracle versus, you know, you can have a thousand of them in Chainlink. Um, I think in that in that specific case, well, what's interesting with the oracles that exist in Bitcoin is you can you can actually add multiple oracles. You can have you know you can have ten, you can have a hundred, and they I simply you know you take your snore signatures and you just you know aggregate them all together, and you know now you have a an oracle from you know a hundred parties, and you can do the exact same thing. I think the one place where kind of the architecture wise there's an advantage to what's being built in Bitcoin is is that um, uh, the way that these um, these contracts are being built. So like if you take like Chainlink, for example, and uh, and Chainlink needing to work properly, say on like Black Thursday, is that um, everything in Ethereum is done at the base layer, which means that, um, you know, all, all contract updates that need to occur, there's a certain amount of space that can uh, that that, you know, can allow for these things to happen. And so, um, you know, on Black Thursday, for example, you had chain congestion, you had oracles being late, you had, um, you know, uh, positions going, becoming insolvent because liquidations weren't uh, were happening correctly. Um, whereas in, in Bitcoin, essentially, all the oracle actually needs to do in the case of a DLC is, is create a signature. And then, you know, either party can go and close out that position. Um, so I think that uh, that, in essence, is a really interesting difference between the two. Um, uh, I can tell you want to you want to say something add something on there, David. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm 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 learning. This is great. I didn't I didn't know that that's what Schnorr's deal was. Keep going. Yeah, yeah. And, and the other thing as well is the um, the element of DLCs that they 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 try to do two things in general. So there's two main advantages of DLCs. One is enabling um, uh, basically like transparency of the oracles themselves. So it's it's kind of a similar situation in Ethereum, right? So, you know, if Chainlink reports are pricing correctly, everybody can see that and everyone can obviously say, oh, I, I don't trust Chainlink anymore. So that's a similar situation with DLCs. The other thing that's really interesting with them is that uh, they bring uh, basically privacy to the contracts that you create. So basically what an Oracle can do is I can say, hi, I'm, you know, I'm Matt, I'm providing an Oracle for the election and, uh, and I'm going to report on that on, uh, you know, at the end of November. And then what can happen is I don't actually even need to know of the existence of the contracts that are using uh, that Oracle. So what it means is it makes it a lot more difficult for that Oracle to be able to collude on the price when it doesn't even know of the existence of the contracts that are using it. So I think privacy is another element that like, you know, DLCs are trying to bring to the forefront that are pretty cool. Okay, so in the Ethereum DeFi world, we have this concept of money Legos, right? Where we have we have these different options, and then we can kind of stitch these options together. Is that what we're starting to see on Bitcoin now? Is like we have DLCs, we have Schnorr signatures. Like, what happens when we start to you know plug these things into each other and and create a new product based off of that? Is that something that you guys have been thinking about? 
Uh, yeah, that's interesting. I, I think we've been seeing it more as um, rather than being, I guess, Legos, more as being like different layers they're be being built. We're back. And I think the example of that is, uh, um, okay, <laughs> uh, an example of that is basically you have like kind of layer one that exists, um, which is, you know, the Bitcoin base layer. And then you have layer two, which is lightning. And now RGB is, built, is being built, which is kind of you know, layer, layer three. Um, so yeah, I don't know anything to add on that. Well, I'd say that, um, we've have some insider knowledge in terms of like what some of the things that lightning labs is working on that will kind of enable a some form of this composability that's in their pipeline. Um, and so that's something that we're really excited about an element, uh, that can really allow folks to bring, uh, to build, uh, build these financial tools with composability in mind. Um, mm -hmm. so that's something we're excited about on lightning. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So wh while David's gone, it's a good time to transition to like dumping on ETH a little bit. Um, <laughs> so like, what, what do you guys see in, in Ethereum? Like, can, I guess I have three categories I'm going to rattle off and I want to ask you like what you think of each of these, like can Ethereum be base money? Like if Bitcoin, gold, USD, those like cash USD, that's base money. Like that is like, you know, that is the bricks of value in society. Um, can can Ethereum be that? Um, can it be something different? I would say David would argue that's just a, a completely new thing. Um, I, I, we already brought up kind of is Ethereum potentially like a side chain to Bitcoin? Is that infrastructure useful, like even in the short to medium term? Um, and do, and or do you think Bitcoin or Ethereum will just fail all, all out together? Like, I guess I'm kind of curious, like, what do you think about Ethereum? Like, is there anything useful there? And like, what's your predictions for it in the future? Yeah, I think um, I think for this specifically, like, um, so Ethereum, I think there's a couple of things there. Like, so Ethereum is a base money. I think we've had a lot of, you know, um, kind of conversations internally around kind of, you know, what is the monetary policy and what is the monetary policy of Ethereum? And I know Ethereum's like to say like, oh, you know, the, uh, in, in reality, you know, Ethereum is is going to be decreasing the amount of like block subsidy and, um, and, and you know, and eventually we'll have a, um, you know, more, more scarcity than Bitcoin. I think in reality, kind of the way that we look at it is that the monetary of, we, there's no denying, I think that the monetary policy of Bitcoin is, is more rock solid in terms of its continuity. So like, you know, um, you know, we've always been set on the, you know, kind of 21 million, uh, uh, you know, meme and you know, it's been from the beginning and it hasn't necessarily changed. Um, so I think that's one thing that we particularly like a lot about, uh, about Bitcoin. Um, I think in general, like one thing that uh, we were really concerned about kind of, you know, looking forward to where Ethereum was headed was uh, kind of around looking at, um, you know, what is, you know, we have a lot of kind of, I think, scaling issues that are coming to light in Ethereum today. And I think a lot of those questions around that is, well, there's a lot of layer twos being worked on in Ethereum, and there's also Ethereum 2.0 kind of on the horizon. And um, I think there's a lot of questions around Ether when Ethereum 2.0 will launch and what that transition will look like and whether whether that transition will be successful for a lot of DeFi projects. And I think the other thing as well that you know we have a lot of questions about is is the the layer twos that exist on Ethereum. So what's what's interesting on Bitcoin is if you look at layer twos, there's really just Lightning. You know, um, everyone's kind of come together. Uh, you know, you have Blockstream, Async, you have uh, Square Crypto, you have uh, Lightning Labs that are all working together on Lightning clients that are compatible with each other. Whereas um, on Ethereum, you know, you have you have Starkware, you have um, you have, you have um, a bunch of different uh, you know layer twos that kind of all each of them have their own 
uh, token that is, you know, incentivizing you to, to use it on their layer two. I kind of, no one's really coming together and building, you know, a standard or, or a layer two for Ethereum that all these different projects can use and all these DeFi projects can be interoperable on. And so I think that's where we had kind of had a lot of concerns, like, you know, kind of looking forward over the next, you know, six, six months to a year on like kind of where is the, where is the future of Ethereum? But uh, yeah. I don't know if David has any uh, any thoughts back on that. <laughs> I mean, I guess David, like there there are interoperability concerns uh, on ETH layer twos. I guess also like how does everything plug and play with ETH two and what how does that all work? Like, what are your thoughts there? Yeah. Um, so each individual implementation of an L two is not interoperable with another one, right? But it is interoperable interoperable with itself right and so like the way i've been describing like l2s is like kind of like the santa monica pier and for the, the foreign foreigners who are listening uh the santa monica pier is this famous pier in california where like you're going down the pacific crest uh, pacific coast highway very popular highway always got traffic on it and then you come across santa monica and then santa monica has got this long 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 like mile two mile long pier right like you walk out to the end of the pier and then there's a there's an amusement park there right there's like a ferris wheel there's a roller coaster there are you know games there's a bunch of things to do out there right and so once you get off the main l1 chain and then you get uh, through the bridge into the l2 there's a bunch of stuff you can do out there without having to go back to the l1 chain right and so like while there well you know, you're, you're not composable with like a different pier that's down the coast. You have to take another ferry to get there. You're plenty composable with what's going on, on your pier, on your specific L2. Right. And so what I would expect, and one of the greatest things about Ethereum is it's composability, right? Like it's the power is the money Legos, right? Because it's then all of a sudden DeFi is something that's more than just the sum of its parts, right? It's the whole entire ecosystem. And so I think like the L2 that wins is the one that has its own native, like fostering, burgeoning ecosystem of its own money legos and so like we do need consolidation down to a fewer and fewer set of scaling solutions and like i'm super happy to see the massive uh gas congestion fees there are on ethereum because that really forces development uh and but but i and i but i don't actually think that we actually need composability between uh these different scaling solutions and that's fine because you'll be able to achieve what you want through like one or a few of these things, right? Like we don't need composability. Like the each the the top three best scaling solutions will will do like eighty ninety percent of the work. That's interesting. I, I guess I, I guess I would ask you, David. Like, what do you what do you think about um, like what what do you think about kind of the like the challenges that will be involved with um, kind of getting to a point of 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 you know sticking with one specific layer two. And do you think, do you think the Ethereum ecosystem is any closer to choosing kind of what is, you know, what is, what, what are the dominant ones? Uh, I think that we are super close to choosing what the dominant ones are. I don't think we're ever going to pick one. I, I think, yeah, having one single L2 is not in the ethos of, of what we want. Like each one has its own specific uh, use cases and, and reasons as to why you would select it. Right. Um, and, you know, in, when, in terms of interoperability between, like, one and another, because if we're committing to having multiple, well, it's kind of a pain from going from one to another, right? But that's not necessarily a problem of the actual implementation of Ethereum. That's more of a problem of UI developers on top of the web apps, 
right? Like, how do you obfuscate this, right? And like, maybe we could we could talk about zk rollups and having to generate assurances between L2s, and maybe some sort of centralized service says like, well, I've got USDC on this L1 and this L, or both of these L2s, and and, and like you can have some of my USDC on this L2, and I'll if you give me your USDC on the other L2, right? And so there there's ways to obfuscate the 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 disparateness of each L2, but I don't think at all that Ethereum will ever, ever settle on one single L2 because at that point, at some point that L2 will just become clogged, right? Like, like we, we can fill up that one too. I mean, and so something to jump in here too, is that like, I feel like when Bitcoiners think L2 and Ethereans think L2, like they're very different things. Like when Bitcoiners yeah. think L2, they think of like an entire new network. Right. And like a lot of Bitcoiners don't even consider, uh, you know, Liquid to be a real L2 because it's a federated sidechain, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of these L2s on Ethereum are closer to, you know, what would be like a Ethereum native sidechain than I would say like a Lightning network, which is literally a network of peers of like thousands of people running computers that are connecting to each other in a peer-to-peer network. Mm-hmm. So like I haven't seen like a network like that in Ethereum outside of Ethereum proper. Like the, essentially the assumption in the Ethereum side is, is that you can build what you need to build and just tag into Ethereum. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a little bit different than Bitcoin where it's like, it, like they're trying to build an L2, which is like, Lightning is it actually a network of nodes. Right. Yeah, I would agree with this. Yeah, and I, and I think as well, like you're not going to end up with, you know, what, what is congestion on Lightning? Mean? I guess congestion just means, you know, various peers like sending a lot of, you know, transactions and um, and that's fine because <laughs> it's everything's, I guess everything's, you know, really peer to peer at the end of the day. So, right. That's like, efficient. The, the, the congestion in, in Lightning would just be illiquidity issues, not not actual like network bandwidth. Yeah, exactly, exactly. exactly. Yeah. I, and, and like, I, yeah, I think there's also some, I mean, on the, on the kind of like, you know, uh, term of like kind of capital efficiency, I think there's, there's some interesting things coming to light on Bitcoin, uh, you know, soon, um, something called like, you know, state chains for Bitcoin that is going to allow for a lot more uh, kind of capital efficient uh, activities. I think a state chain basically is, is is kind of like a side chain like liquid for Bitcoin. But the main difference is that it's actually censorship resistant. So kind of has this state chain entity that, you know, has one key of a two of two multisig um, um, and, uh, you know, and allows for transactions to be, you know, sent in a very capital efficient manner. So I think like, you know, on that end, I think things are improving a lot on 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 uh, on kind of the Bitcoin side. And that is, of course, like, you know, can, we'll be able to work you know, very well with, uh, with lightning, but I, I guess like one of the concerns I have, like specifically with like layer twos for Ethereum is that Ethereum is able to do a lot of things at the base layer. I would, I think like, that's, you know, um, that's a bit of the, um, you know, that, that's a, that's a feature, but, uh, also, also a bug in some sense, because it means that like any, any new coin that's created or any new kind of, um, anyone who wants to create like a Ponzi on Ethereum is able to, you know, hike up gas fees. And so if you're just looking to use like Ethereum for settlement, then like, you know, that's, you're going to, you're going to run into a lot of, a lot of problems. I don't know if you have any thoughts of that, like as it relates to like L2s. Well, yeah. So, I mean, part of this goes all the way back down to like basic crypto economic primitives where like, you know, maybe, maybe you call it a Ponzi, but if somebody is paying for that block space, well, it's valuable to someone, 
right? And so, like, they, they're outbidding for the block space. So who, who are you or anyone else to tell them that they need to get off of the L1 because they're paying for the block space? Like, you know, you should just go point at everyone else and say, like, look, your economic activity is being outbid by this Ponzi. Like, clearly your economic activity is not worth it, right? Because this Ponzi outbid you, right? So some of it's some, some of a subjective valuation as to, like, what you think belongs there and what doesn't, right? And also at the same time, um, like, and we can also include like sharding in, in this conversation as well. Right. So like it, for a good representation to, uh, view sharding is like, so we have, we have, um, you know, you know, those like tier, the, the pyramids of like glasses that like you'll see at like some like fancy wedding and then they pour the champagne in the top and then it kind of like flows down into all the other tr- glasses and trickles down to the bottom. But the top glass is like always full. Right. And then when that glass overflows, it, fo- it falls down to like the four glasses that are supporting that. And then when those finally overflow, they go down to those 16 glasses that are filling that up. And that's kind of how sharding will work. Right. Like if people think people often think that like when we have 64 shards, we're going to take like the current Ethereum L1 blockchain and then we're going to multiply it by 64. So you can cut your gas prices by 64. Like, no, that's not how it's going to work. Gas gas prices on one particular shard are going to be the same, but people are going to have the option to move off to a different shard, which will have less activity in it. Right. And like maybe, and then, then you can go host your Ponzi scheme there. Right. And you can clog up that particular shard with just your Ponzi scheme. Hopefully we can just have the Ponzi shard where all the Ponzi schemes just go onto the Ponzi shard. Right. And so like, and this is kind of the, the model for, for this is kind of thinking as, as this between like some sort of metropolis, then we go into like the uh, suburbs and then we go into the farmlands, right? Like the metro, the DeFi metropolis where like, it's like the New York is like Manhattan, right? Like streets are clogged, subways are clogged. Like everyone wants to live, wants to live there, rent super high, uh, salary is super high. Uh, but you know, sometimes, you know, you don't really want that, that hubbub and you don't want to pay gas fees and you want to, you want always to get onto the next subway. So then you might as well just go to the suburbs, right? It's like less full there. Like you can have your Hummer, you have like four lane highways, like, and so, like, you have the optionality to, like, move yourself where you want to be, right? And so, and and then we can even go get right back into the conversation with L2s. Like, maybe you don't want to move away from Manhattan, and so you want to stay there, but you, you want to send your all your activity up to the cloud, right? Like, and so that's where an L2 can come in. Mm. Yeah, to, to go back to the kind of point of, like, you know, the... Um uh, you know, th- this is like, I guess, like, you know, kind of talking about like, you know, if a Ponzi exists on Ethereum, you know, this is legitimate block space that, you know, someone should be able to use if they're willing to pay for. I think what's, I think what's interesting about kind of what's being built, um, you know, on RGB right now and allowing for assets to be issued on Lightning is that all the assets that exist there are essentially opt-in. So, you know, if someone goes and creates sushi, for example, you know, I don't have to go and verify kind of all the transactions that exist for, you know, sushi on Lightning, for example. I only need to go and verify um you know my us my tether that i'm trying to send over lightning for example i think is really cool um so how, how do the, you opt into that question. and where do those assets actually like live so if you have tether on lightning where does it live who's got that yeah. ledger yeah so the the ledger itself so the, the proof of ownership is the bitcoin blockchain but the um the uh, uh verifying the actual proofs of like basically sending between the various participants is done basically client side. So whether that's in your wallet or or that's um, you know in your your Lightning node or mm-hmm. um, you know is is you know held in a watchtower for you if right. you 
don't want to trust. Hey, the David, mm-hmm. you know how that when you like send Ether or Bitcoin, like you don't actually send it; just updates inside the ledger that's inside all the nodes that are around the world. Right. So in Lightning, in L two, in a peer to peer system, right. you're actually sending them the keys. So right. that's how it worked. Like you have the tether keys that are validated on the Bitcoin chain, but then you're transferring it peer to peer client side. Uh huh. And and so like is is there's a straight up tether token that's running in parallel to the rest of the Bitcoin Lightning network. Yeah, basically like the tether that exists there is basically anchored to like you know specific Bitcoin addresses you can mm-hmm. think of. Mm-hmm. And so um, if you're just running Bitcoin by itself. Um, you don't even know that this tether exists, mm-hmm. but if you're, you know, verifying uh, tether transactions, or if you want to receive it, then now, then you actually see, oh, hey, you know, here's this Bitcoin address that has a little bit of Bitcoin and actually has more tether that's, you know, attached to it. And okay, I can see the proofs of who sent, you know, tether to this person, to, you know, to Alice, and now Alice is sending that tether to to me, Bob. According to all the clients that have opted to to manage and, and pay attention and watch tether on the Lightning. Sorry, sorry. Who who is who is doing that? Yeah, you know, I'm just saying. I'm just uh, reiterating, and and like who's doing that is just uh, according to all the clients that are talking to each other. Exactly. Which is, which is how which is how Lightning works in the first place. Like, it's basically like the process of if you're verifying, like, um, you know, if you're verifying, like, you know, Bitcoin blocks coming in, you know, you verify, okay, yeah, you know, all the data in this block, you know, hashes to this block hash. I can, okay, I, I verified the proof of work that occurred. Mm-hmm. Um, in this case, you're just verifying. It's called it's a um, it's a cryptography primitive called um, like single use seals, which was mm-hmm. generated uh, developed by Peter P- Todd. But basically, you're just you're just uh, verifying the cryptography mm-hmm. of these assets that are being sent back right. and forth, and then checking that against the uh, the Bitcoin blockchain to see if you have ownership of this you know right. specific Bitcoin address. So like so like uh, Bitfinex or whatever centralized company issues Tether, they would spin up their own node their lone lightning node and then they would issue a bajillion tether on it and then other people would tap into whatever whatever node that they're running and they this would just be the canonical tether lightning chain and then they would send the tether out to someone and then the lightning network for tether would just grow from there and that's kind of how tether could be issued I mean, if you think about that, it, that's not necessarily a good way to think about it. Don't think about it as a chain. And correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Matt or Tony, but really, you know, they essentially stamp it into the Bitcoin. They stamp the tokens into the Bitcoin blockchain. And then these tokens are a standard that I guess any Lightning node that is updated to, you know, to, you know, be interoperable with RGB standard, they just recognize it. It's just like ERC is just a standard that your wallet recognizes. So it's just like, you recognize it. So you get this thing and, oh, I recognize that it is, you know, fits into this and we call it a tether and we value it at a dollar. That is all social contract stuff, mm-hmm. you okay. know, beyond right. like the, the actual right. network. Does right. that make sense? And is that correct? Yeah, that, that is correct, except for actually putting it into the Bitcoin blockchain because it doesn't it doesn't actually like um, there's not putting it into the offer turn or it's not touching uh, Bitcoin itself. It's all this is all off chain, but like every, everything else is correct. Yeah. Yeah, I meant like the, you know, they, they prove that it's just going to be like the next that it's just issuing like mm-hmm. these tethers. Okay. Yeah. Um, exactly. So, I mean, like, we're kind of getting close to an hour here, guys. This has been a very uh, interesting and informative conversation. Uh, you guys definitely bring an interesting perspective just with your experience on both uh, developing with cutting edge Bitcoin tech as well as uh, on, uh, as well as on, you know, native DeFi. 
Um, I guess where do we want to take this and kind of close this out? Do you guys kind of have any last words or or closing thoughts? Uh, I mean, uh, (laughs) I guess, I guess we, uh, in terms of closing thoughts, I don't know, like we've, um, I guess we get, we, we, I guess we didn't get a chance to talk about actually kind of what we've been, you know, working on lately and the, yeah, uh, let's do it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we've been like more recently, we've been kind of spending some time, uh, you know, kind of looking into, you know, trying to build some actual, um, you know, some tools, some, I guess some, you could call it Bitcoin native DeFi. Uh, some uh, Bitcoiners don't like that. They're trying to call it Li-Fi these days, lightning finance. <laughs> um, it's pretty funny, but um, we've been trying to like kind of push the ball forward in, in terms of like what can be created there. So we recently, you know, kind of created a, our first like mini product called Atomic Odds that basically allows for, you know, crypto influencers. So, you know, if you, you know, you and, uh, you know, uh, Christian, you and you and David, uh, you know, wanted to, you know, bet on, you know, price of sushi or bet on the uh, price of Ethereum or Bitcoin or the election. And, you know, um, you want to do that with 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 Bitcoin, maybe um, you, you can do so kind of on our web app. So we we're kind of building it so that crypto influencers can say, hey, if you want to if you want to, uh, you know, kind of bet against me then, you know, then go for it, you know, put your money where your mouth is. Or if someone sees something outrageous on Twitter, they can just say, Hey, you know what? I disagree with this. Let's create a bet on it, you know, and just be able to do that really easily. So. Yeah. And I cool. think like, just like to add on to that, it's been super interesting, like um, working, like thinking about the different product development processes that we went through when we were developing our, you know, cross-chain product versus this Bitcoin only product. Um, The nature of it is that like with Ethereum, um, it's very much a waterfall kind of, you know, with folks that are familiar with these kind of um, agile versus waterfall development methodologies, basically it's very waterfall. It's like, feels very much like, okay, I need to spec it out, you know, write write a paper on it, get it reviewed. And then like go go through the process of actually like developing the protocol, making sure I can't, um, when I'm doing the solidity, I'm catching all the edge cases, making sure I put the proper require statements, all that kind of stuff. And then of course, getting it audited. And, um, you know, we, you have a drop dead date where it's like, okay, by this date, we need to have all our changes in um, because like, that's when we're going to get it audited. And then, you know, you go through a couple cycles like that. Um, and if, and, and, you know, that's just kind of the nature of kind of solidity development and, and, and how things work, things t- take longer and, and, you know, we can't iterate as quickly. Um, and then basically on Bitcoin, what we've experienced is that because of um, kind of the, the way that Bitcoin scripting works and like kind of this, uh, the, there's just a lot less scotches that can happen with Bitcoin scripting. Um, it actually affords you the ability to be able to iterate more quickly mm-hmm. and like not have to necessarily uh, pay, uh, like go go and t- t- have a drop dead date, go through those audits and, and whatnot, just because of uh, uh, the simplicity of Bitcoin script and, 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 and whatnot. And so that's something that we found has been a very interesting difference from a development standpoint between Bitcoin and Ethereum. Yeah. I'm sure plenty of developers from the Ethereum side are very jealous of their, you're not having to audit nearly as much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's pretty, pretty, uh, I, I mean, I've been there for all the Ethereum developers, you know, it's like stressful getting up to that, like audit date. Yeah. So it's been, yeah, it's been nice been able to iterate. <laughs> yeah. Um, guys, thank you for coming on. Um, where can people find you? Yeah. Um, so you can find uh, Matt at, uh, what is it? Matthew J.A. Black on Twitter. Uh, on yeah. Twitter and then myself at uh, Tony uh, and then Kai, C-A-I underscore. Um, or you can find our company Atomic Finance at Atomic Finance or the website is atomic.finance. 
Uh, so pretty straightforward. Um, and yeah, we look forward to kind of like uh, engaging with you guys there and, and whatnot. Cool. And you're looking for uh, only influencers for Atomic Beds or who, who can actually test this yeah. thing out? So, so basically, like, um, how we're going about it is we're going to, like, kick, kick off a beta beta test with uh, a few influencers. So we have, like, Pierre Brochard, uh, Jimmy Song, uh, yourself, CK, hopefully, um, on there, basically, um, having some uh, set, uh, having some uh, open offers for bets, setting up some open offers, like, okay, I want to bet that Ethereum's not going to surpass 400 by the end of the year or something like that. Um, I'll take uh, out of that bet, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so basically, like, folks can come on and, 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 and um, you know, pick the bet that they want to reciprocate to and then uh, move forward from there. We're still uh, in development, wrapping up development, hopefully within the next couple of weeks. So we can start uh, publicly launching that um, hopefully within the next uh, two to three weeks. So, yeah, keep an eye out for that. That's exciting. Congrats, guys. <laughs> Thanks. Cool. Well, uh, I'm excited to uh, to see when Bitcoin native finance gets to the point where it's uh, a lot more liquid and, uh, and a, le- a lot less P2P, but staying patient here, but also observing and, and just seeing what's happening on ETH2. So uh, I think that it's a conversation we need to keep having. Uh, you guys, thank you for coming on the show. The viewers, thank you for watching the live stream. You can find me at CK underscore Snarks. You can find the podcast at POV CryptoPod. Give us a rating and review on iTunes, five-star reviews. David? You can find me at Trustless State, both on Twitter and on Bankless. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Will you?